being able to do what I've done, bar none, is the most sublime experience, human experience I, I could imagine. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Wendy, welcome to No Limits. My pleasure to be here. First ballerina in the house today. (laughs) I'm really fascinated by your story because you started so young, as Mm -hmm. so many athletes do, you, you have to kind of start really young to be incredibly good. Yeah, you have to sculpt your DNA. You really do. As you grow, you have to you have to shape your bones and and dancing shapes your muscles and your bones and your veins actually. They alter to what you're doing and uh make it possible to do it. Your you do. your first dance class was 3. You yeah. were 3 years old. Uh-huh. I mean, I got into it because of of uh, I had a, a a restless energy and my mom was like, "Get this kid, <laughs> the middle kid out of the house." Because I was I was wreaking havoc on the baby. I was jumping on my little baby sister, and so they just needed me to p- put my energy somewhere outside of the house. and And it ended up being in a ballet studio. And I never and never went back. I mean, I never I never came home. I, I started at three. I moved to New York when I was fifteen, and you know I still live in New York. My whole family's still in Louisville. They're like, are you ever going to move home? I'm like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> your mom was a basketball coach, yeah. and your dad was an accountant. Yeah. How did they? How did they figure out that terrain? Because getting from Louisville uh-huh. to New York City, oh yeah, seems like a pretty big step, a it, giant leap, if you it will. It was a giant leap. Yeah. Um, my mom. I just remember my mom had notebooks and papers and just a whole desk full of information, and she was researching. You know, what are we going to do for this? How are we going to afford that, you know, the different, all the different logistics. And she was on the phone all the time talking to so-and-so's mother whose daughter had left at an early, just getting all this information. She was researching it. And I remember that. My dad was just kind of like, he just kind of was a little bit in the background at the time. My mom was really (laughs) the full force. I'm going to help you make this happen. She was definitely not um, a ballet mom at all. She She just knew how to focus and she focused her life towards basketball. She loved it. And she knew that I had a love for something, and she, she could relate to it. So she's like, you do your thing. 15, though, coming to New York at 15. Yeah. So you, you were working as a, as a kid. You were dancing. In fact, I actually thought of it as work, and I thought, I'm such a grown-up. I'm so mature. I'm working every day after school. I go to work and dance. When I was 10 years old, I started to take ballet class every day of the week except for Sunday. And I remember running up the street to the neighbors and telling the neighbors, I take ballet class every day of the week. And I was so proud of that. And I just thought, well, this is who I am. And um, I love what I do. And I, I just felt I knew it was special to know what I wanted to do as a young person. Most people have no, no idea. My friends were like, I'm going to gymnastics. And and then I'm going to take a piano lesson. And I just knew that I had this different thing. When yeah. you when you get to New York, you're 15 years mm-hmm. old. Yeah. This is a crazy city to come to yeah. no matter what age yeah. you are. I think I got here when I was 23, 24, mm-hmm. and it was crazy at the time. Mm-hmm. So for you, what was that moment like? My first apartment that I rented with a family um, was just on Columbus Avenue, just minutes away from here. And they were like, don't worry. It's right by ABC. You'll be safe to leave her there when she's 15. That was one of the things was like, she's right by this 
ABC, you know, it's, it's it'll be safe. We we definitely watch out for all the young people oh, in the area. Thank I make you. I make a point to babysit anyone I oh, see. It's like, funny though. It was weird. That was one of the things that the, the other parents said, "Oh yeah, you'll be fine." I didn't leave a 10 block radius for, you know, a long time. I just went where I lived to school, to ballet, back to school, back to ballet, home, homework. And I just lived that life for that was my focus, my life. I didn't go some of the, my friends were going to Studio 54. Um, I had no interest or desire. The dedication mm-hmm. that is required to get to the level where you are is – I find it so admirable and also humbling. Mm-hmm. So where was that coming from for you? Well, you know what? Interestingly, I think a lot of it was insecurity. You know, I, don't, I no boyfriend. I'm, what, who is that? I don't know that part of myself. And – you know, well, I can put it into ballet. There was a lot of myself that I that I tuned out to focus on ballet. And, you know, when it came time to, well, do you want to even investigate this part of yourself? No. Hmm. I'm focusing was on there what I'm fear? doing. Yeah. I think there was some security and fear. Yeah. A, lo- a little bit of that, you know, as a teenager. Don't smoke. Don't do drugs. Don't, you know, get pregnant. <laughs> Those were like the, the, the things, you know. You're moving when you're 15. You know, those don't do those things. 1984, you become an apprentice in the New York mm-hmm. City Ballet. 1991, you become a principal dancer. Mm-hmm. What's the culture like? Obviously, we have the movies, you know, Black it's Swan, different. that it's kind of thing. A little bit different from the movie Black Swan. Okay. Um, no, a lot, a lot different. Um, but but all those, all those things um, go along with it. There's jealousy. There's ego. There's... Um, pressure a lot of pressure there's you know lots of pressure to, you know pressure to have sex pressure to try to try to smoke to party why is there pressure for those things that's a surprise uh, i remember as a as a 19 year old one of the older dancers was like you're a virgin you know and you need to go and i'm like you know what keep that out of it you know i don't have any interest but there was that kind of, because it's a small little compact world and they're judging each other and you're like well you're not cool in this way but you're cool in this way and there's just it's, it's a little bit you know of that kind of back and forth of who are you and what are you about you know and outside of being a dancer yeah and and you have to develop those aspects of your life to be a dancer to express yourself to know to to be a human you know, and to express that in dance. And that's what it is. Dance is an expression of being human and or being beyond human or being the best human, you know, that you can be somehow. Do you think there are certain traits that are unique or specific to ballerinas that are different from other worlds, Mm. other professions? Um but I think you have to have discipline and focus to do what you do and intelligence, mm-hmm. yeah, to get there, to do it. Because you have to be able to put all those moving abstract parts together, musicality, timing, the internal workings of your body, things you can't really see. You have to make them all work and find harmony in them and then put it out on stage and perform them. Which you clearly managed to do three decades. I did, You yeah. are with – the New York City Ballet. Yeah, I did that. And yeah, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I did that. I did that. And and yeah. for 22 years in a principal role. In yeah. a principal role yeah. with the Nutcracker. Uh-huh. In the documentary Restless right. Creature. Yeah. You let cameras into your life at a pivotal uh-huh. moment, a very vulnerable moment. I did. 
Yeah. Tell us about what happened in that moment, what, what you were going through, and then I want to get to why you, you let the cameras in in the first place. You know, I am 46 or 47 at the time when they filmed it. What am I doing? You know, how long can I do this well? Um, what do I want to do next? What am I afraid of? Uh, what am I good at besides dancing? Or, you know, am I even good at that anymore? Reconciling with my ego that I'm not what I was physically, accepting the vulnerability of aging and learning how to embrace it. Six years ago, yeah, the ballet came to you and, and talked to you about this transition. Yeah, I went to a meeting um, with my boss about something else. And then this came up in the conversation, surprisingly, took me off guard and kind of swiped the rug out from underneath my feet. I knew I wasn't 28, and I wasn't 32 even, um, and I knew I wasn't quite that dancer that I was, but I didn't think that I was, you know, at the level of needing to go. So this this came up. Maybe you don't want to do this anymore. You know, I don't think you should do this because I don't want you to not look your best for the audience. And I'm like, well, it's the Nutcracker, and it's eight-year-olds coming, and and it's something I've done a lot, and I don't think I'm a nightmare in it, you know. I don't think I'll scare any of the little kids. And it's not like I need to do a lot of shows of it, just a couple shows because I know it's good for me and I know it keeps me keeps me on a certain level of where I want to be. And so with when that happened, it it just it, it really broke my heart because it was such a surprise. And I thought this is how I got into ballet was the Nutcracker. This is the this is the ballet that everybody's in. This is the ballet that it just it all starts with. And it's not that I wanted to do the Nutcracker. It's, you know, I've done it a million times. But it was just more the idea of what it means as a dancer and what it means as a family and what it meant to me as a young dancer. And I thought, this is the beginning of the end. And within a month, my the pain in my body started happening. How much do you think that is possibly a symptom of that conversation. I think it's a huge symptom of that conversation. I don't think that pain would have come on in that way without that conversation. That's what I think. But it's hard to say. That's the that's the conundrum because you don't really know would that have happened that way without ever having that kind of pain before and then all of a sudden having constant pain. Um, there, there's no other reason why that would have happened, I don't think. I empathize with your story to such a great degree because I see so many people mm-hmm. who are veterans yeah. who dedicate an entire life to something. Yeah. And then there's that moment. Yeah. Whatever that moment is, mm-hmm. the whole way on the way up, it's excitement, it's yeah. pinch me moments, it's more I'm blooming, I'm blooming, I'm blooming. Exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the page turns. Page turns. It literally happened in a moment because I had had this pain in my feet and my legs. But then a number of months later, I slipped in a class. I literally slipped on the floor. That was it. Wow. Yeah. In a moment. In a moment, my life changed. Never came back the same. I mean, mm-hmm. I, just just when you're describing that <laughs> moment, I can literally picture you and I can almost picture like the thought bubble above your head <laughs> in that moment. No, because yeah. you perform differently. After a conversation like the one that you had with the director, you're going to have things oh, in the yeah. back of your mind that are totally oh. different. Oh, yeah. So you're having all of these uh-huh. realizations um, uh-huh. and you're in an incredibly vulnerable moment. 
How are you getting through these moments? I don't know. It was incredibly painful. It was just dealing with the emotions of it all and then the physical aspects of it all. And the the unknown was just terrifying to me. The anxiety was terrifying to me. Um, and the pain on top of that. I mean, I was I was about to be um, out of a job. And that was nobody was taking the job away from me, but I was going to be needing to leave the job just for my own body and for my own sanity. But taking those steps towards that was just, I don't know, I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and just <laughs> sign of the cross all the time. Like, I don't know what's next. I have no idea. But getting out of the pain was the main thing. And that took that took four years. How did you do it? I had a hip replacement. <laughs> Ultimately, um, I found out I had a, t- a tear in my labrum. The labrum of the hip is sort of the bumper to the hip in the hip socket. Um, and um, I had no hip issues through my whole whole career. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't close a fifth position, which is the basic ballet step position in ballet. So I spent a year just trying to find a way to continue moving through it and trying to figure out how to avoid surgery. And that that wasn't going to be. I needed surgery. I didn't know how bad it was going to be until somebody actually went into the hip. And he said to me, you know, Wendy, if you'd come in a month from now, I couldn't have even tried to fix your hip. He goes, it's pretty far along, but, you know, I've done the best I can do. With He took a part from my thigh and he rebuilt part of the labrum. So we thought, we'll see what we can, you know, see how long you can do with this and see if you can dance another year or two. Because he knew I was going to be leaving the company. What is the life of a ballerina like? How much in, in pure hours on point of uh-huh. exercise, yeah. what is a day like? I would say the most um, intense time for me was when I was um, a young principal dancer. Every dancer pretty much takes a ballet class in the morning, 1030 to 12 or 10 to 12 or something like that. And then we start into rehearsals from 12 until 3. So we have – so basically like 10 until 3 with, you know, at five minutes on the hour, you get a break. And then after three hours, we have to have an hour off. That's just in our contract. And then we can come back and we can do another three hours. So then maybe 4 to 6 or 7. And then you go and you get ready for a show and you do one or two and if you're in the court of ballet, often three ballets a night. And then you go home at 11, you eat dinner, you try to go to sleep and wind down from all the energy because you have so much adrenaline. And you get up and you start the next day at 10 with a class again and you do the same thing. And you do that day after day after day for year after year after year. Except for Mondays. Mondays was the day off. So, yeah, 12, 12 hours of movement a day, intense movement a day, and mental pressure of learning and then producing something for an audience at night. Sometimes I had to learn a ballet in a day and perform it that night. So there's a lot of stress and a lot, a lot of mental work that I didn't think of as a kid. <laughs> I thought, oh, I'll do something mindless and dance. Well, <laughs> it's hardly that. What do you say now to young people who want to do what you've done? I say go for it. I it, it this being able to do what I've done, bar none, is one, is the most sublime experience, human experience I I could imagine, on so many different levels: the mental, the physical, the collaborative, the creative. Just it's just high, uh, exponential everywhere. 
Um, it's almost it's, like a religious experience it that you're is describing. A religious experience. For for me it was. For me it was. And the and the things that I learned from it, besides the physical, the the human, the the philosoph the philosophical things I learned from it that just came to me from just exploring this world of art and dance together and music and people and it just it taught me things I never would have imagined learning. What what do you think the most surprising thing you learned was? Um, I think being able to find the zone, living in the zone, and the things that you learn, the things I learned from my own soul, being in the zone, the lessons that I learned, the messages that I got along the way, um, were things I never expected. Like, I, I would go in to a dance with a certain mindset or a certain mood or a certain attitude and, you know, oh, I had a bad day or or even after this meeting that I had. I was I cried all night long after this meeting. The next night I went in and I danced on stage. And I was distraught and I was broken. And I went on stage and I danced a piece that was made for me. And I went into the zone and one of the, the images that came to my mind was a, was a, a burial. And I thought I could feel this this six-foot ditch. And I thought, of this dark space and this end. But throughout the dance, this image came to me of building out from that ditch and and building a structure in it, but building a structure out of it, a skyscraper. And I thought, if you don't go into the ground, you can't go up and have support to go up. So I had this whole imagery happen to me of death and rebirth and and I thought, I'm going to make this project Restless Creature, and I'm going to make another dance for myself, and I'm going to reinvent myself, and I'm going to transform. And that came to me in a dance. So those kind of things have come to me along the way, and you, I can't make that happen. When you're getting started and you're being told by coaches mm -hmm. and teachers to get into that zone, what are the techniques that you use initially to go there? I think... We're not taught to get into the zone. I think it's the combination of the focus and the discipline and the physicality. When all those things, after years and years and years and decades, literally decades of, of training and practice daily, find harmony, you can get to this place. And, and it opens up to you. It's not that you dig and try to search it. It's, it's a, almost a release and, and it happens. There's a certain rhythm to it. It just, yeah, something opens up inside. So you're in the middle of this dance. You have a vision <laughs> yeah. for Restless Creature. Yeah. And you invite cameras into your life to document in your most vulnerable moment. What yeah. was that it, like? It wasn't my choice to make this documentary. I did not go to somebody and say, let's make a documentary. Somebody, somebody came to me and said, would you like to make a documentary on the creation of this project? And I thought, oh, no. I don't really think I want to do that because I'm in a lot of pain right now. I'm in a transition. I am really struggling. I have no idea if I'm leaving New York City Ballet, if I'm having surgery. Um, I have no idea wh what's going to happen. And they said, exactly. That's what we want to find out. And I was like, ah, I don't want to fail. <laughs> I don't want to you know, be your guinea pig for this project. Wanna, I don't want a bad ending. Mm. And, and I had, there was a very strong chance of a bad ending. So the executive producer introduced me to the producer-director, and we th thought, well, let's spend one day with the camera on me and see what it's like. And if you like it, we'll try for a, a second day. And if you don't like it, we'll scrap it. 
if if along the way it, this just gets to be too much for you, this will just be a very expensive home movie for you. I was like, oh, I don't want to make that happen for you. <laughs> so I, I thought, you know, I'm going to dive in. Just like everything else I do, I'm going to – the curtain goes up and I'm just going to present where the chips are going to fall. And all this stuff happened <laughs> and they got to capture it all and – yeah, I, I let him. I let him into my operating room. Um, I let him into my dressing room the night of my farewell performance. You know, a very vulnerable moments. I just thought, you know what? I I have to give it. I have to give it all in this, or else it's not worth it. Why give it halfway? This is the truth. And um, and part of me thought through this process of letting go that the truth was a beautiful thing, and I thought. You know, this is as uncomfortable as it is. It's real. And I think that's ultimately beautiful. And I'm not doing it out of vanity. Um, I was thinking of other dancers along the way. I was thinking, you know, maybe they might want to see what this is like because no, no other dancers really exposed this element, um, this timing of of a career. What the, happens afterwards or end. as you're transitioning. Yeah, or as you're less than perfect. Mm. You don't – ballerina doesn't want to show that. That's not what we're trained to do. And uh, it's it's humiliating a little bit. It's it's humbling. It's um, embarrassing to, to – you know, after all that time to say, well, this is the real me and I can't stay on point right now and and I can't put one foot in front of the other. And and I look ugly and I look, you know, I don't have makeup on and I just, you know, it's like that, that wasn't who I was as a ballerina. I, yeah. And it's control and letting go of that control um, is hard, but that's human and it's real and it's life. What did you think when you watched the footage back for the first time? Um, the very first time I saw a, a, a rough cut and I wasn't sure it was really hard to watch. Um, and it was also hard because I had lived it all and I was like, well, of course, I know all this. The, the, the part I love the most was the surgery because I didn't remember that part. <laughs> so that's my favorite scene in the movie. But then I saw a year later, I saw the final version at the New York Film Festival. And and I was really happy with it. And I was really proud of myself. And yeah, it was it was I didn't know what to expect. And it was and it was good. There are so many people yeah. who dedicate themselves or pursue one career for a mm-hmm. lifetime and then get to this moment of mm-hmm. transition. What's your advice? Make it a creative act. Make and what it, does that mean? Find a way to have fun with it. Find a way to let it give you answers. Um, find a way to embrace it and play with it. Become a kid with it. It's like a kid learning something new. See what are those things in me that I don't really know are there. There's so there. How do you find that? Trying new things and not being afraid to be embarrassed, uh, not needing to be in control, you know, letting things go, um, finding people to hang out with that accept you for who you are and that encourage you to play mm-hmm. and encourage your creativity. How much of that is breaking out of the bubble? Because I think about, for example, in this industry, mm-hmm. if you, if I were to leave this industry tomorrow yeah. and I were to – not that I would say goodbye to my friends here, but if, if I were to keep in touch with them and listen to their day yeah. in and day out, there would be a part of me that would always feel connected to it. I would struggle because I would always yeah. sort of want a piece of whatever they were talking about. Yeah, I've let it go. I don't I, – I'm, I'm – uh, 
I'm friendly with the dancers that I was dancing with in the last few years. Um, they're still my friends. I text with them. I will go and see them dance. I will even take class with them at some points along the way. But I'm not day in and day out with them. And they're living their life in their career at their moment where they are right now. And I'm not there. And I'm not trying to be there. I have no desire to be there at this moment. I've, I've cut the cord. Um, but I love those people, and uh, and and they're in, they're enjoying where they are in their life at this time, and I'm enjoying where I am at my life at this time. Was there a moment that you can say in your mind you truly cut the cord? Well, this is tough, but um, I had a partner at New York City Ballet for um, all of my career. We grew up together. His name was Albert Evans, and um, he passed away. At 46, right after I retired, very young. And he was my he was my right arm at New York City Ballet. We started doing our first principal roles together. And I think when he passed away and I read at his memorial what I wrote for him, the cord was cut for me. So I let him go and I let myself go at the same time. So that was what it took. It's very powerful. Yeah. What was along the way the toughest lesson for you to learn? Along the way, you know, when you're in all this pain and you're in the turmoil and you're trying to find answers, you can play play the blame game and you can say, well, you know, if I hadn't had that meeting, this pain, you know, and da da da, and they want young people and I'm older and da da da, and just letting go of that blame, you know, and and not and and not it's. It, no, this is nobody's fault. This is life, you know, and this is just the way things are meant to be. And not having and, – and, and really working and shaping myself not to have a bitter feeling towards this sort of my art form, like, leaving me in a certain way. And so really, really shaping getting rid of any kind of bitterness because the bitterness is part of – dealing with the pain and it's like you know it's somewhere you put your pain and realizing that lesson and saying you know that's fine for me to do for a little time being but that's not really real and it's not really valuable so your last performance now with the uh, new york city ballet mm-hmm. was 2014 where are you now where what is now? your focus in life my focus in life is in many more places than just the dancer at New York City Ballet. Because at the time when I was at New York City Ballet, I didn't teach there. I didn't teach really at all. And um, I didn't choreograph. I didn't do any anything other than just dance. And so now I'm teaching. Um, I teach a little bit at Barnard. I teach at a school called Ballet Academy East. Um, I am setting a work of Alexei Rotmansky's um, called Pictures Out of an Exhibition. I'm setting that in Seattle on an incredible ballet company called Pacific Northwest Ballet, and I'm really excited to work with them. It's um, terrifying to actually set the work of a choreographer. I've never, ever done this before. So I'm learning the inside architecture of a great ballet from the inside out, and I'm, and I'm going to be teaching each person their role. And I'm not worrying about just myself. I'm worrying about other people. I'm worrying about young dancers. I'm worrying about students, and I'm worrying about professional dancers. I'm not worrying about them, but I'm giving myself to them mm-hmm. in, in, as, in many different ways um, with all the qualities that I can. 
and I'm learning so much along the way. I'm learning as much as they are, probably, easily, but I think that's the way it should be. How many hours a day do you spend dancing still? Depends on what I'm doing. I just did a new project, so I would spend sometimes – I was in the studio for nine hours a day at, in the in the winter, but that project is done now. So at this moment, it's maybe two or three hours a day um, because I'm not really focusing on a project at the moment, but I will pick that up. So I'm, I'm doing – Project to project to project, and sometimes it's dance, sometimes it's teaching, sometimes it's setting, and it's always different. What's the worst advice you've received along the way? Worst advice? Worst advice? I don't know. I've gotten a lot of great advice. Okay, what Uh, was the best advice? Don't look back. When did you get that advice? I got that, I think, the night of my – at the party after my farewell performance, my teacher, the one that got me to New York. She said, Wendy, little Wendy, they used to call me that. <laughs> Don't look back. You've done something great. Just keep moving forward. You've done it. Go on. Move forward. Don't look back. And so I've, I've always listened to her, and I always will, and that was the most recent great thing she said to me. If you had to do it all over again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nothing different? No. Nothing. I might have started yoga a little sooner. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, that's the only thing. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Wendy. We really appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a review. It really does help get the word out. And don't forget, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at Rebecca Jarvis. Special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Bancardo, Steve Jones, Annie Osakwe, and Elizabeth Hecht. And coming up on the next episode of No Limits... I've never said this on a microphone before. I've certainly said it to you because we are very close friends, but I was fired. And that's okay. I actually feel very empowered when I say that. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.